You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. Some of y'all are still coming too. So it's good morning to you again. Good morning. Good to see you guys. It's good to worship with you this morning. Uh, let me read one more announcement for you that we have. We wanted to give a personal touch to this morning. Uh, we received an email as a response from one of our ministries. Uh, West End is an elementary school in our area, if you're not familiar, that we have been uh, working with for years with a, a, a shoe ministry that we do for the students there. And um, Jim Hicks and some others have led that ministry uh, very well. And we got a letter from the, the counselor at the school who wanted us to communicate to you a few things. So if you would bear with me, let me just read this note to you from her to you, our faith family. To the members of 12th Street Baptist Church, words cannot begin to express the thanks and appreciation for the 78 pairs of shoes and socks you purchased for students at West End Elementary School this year. It is a wonderful service that you provide to our community of students, and we are so grateful. While we weren't able to take photos of students, please know that your efforts brought so much joy to every child who received shoes. Several of them were still wearing the shoes you purchased for them from last year. We thank you for your continued support and prayers for West End Elementary staff, children, and their families. With deepest appreciation, Melissa Vine, school counselor. This is part of how you serve our community. So thank you for continually being a light of the gospel with these children and with these families and with your generosity as you give for the ministry of the gospel to go forth, even into our schools, even to the families that we may never see darken the doors of our church here, but they can know the light and love of Christ as we go out and serve them where they are. I also want to take a quick moment to let you know, some of you know on Facebook that this weekend was supposed to be a pretty auspicious weekend for Tyler. He was supposed to be walking across the graduation stage for his Master of Divinity in Kansas, and then some things hit him square in the face and was not able to be there. I thought I'd take a moment to uh, just let us pray over him for his heart. That's kind of disheartening to not be able to do that, but also I'm sure that Charles would tell you this, Tracy would tell you this, anybody else that's worked on a Master's of Divinity, it is uh, it is hard hard work to be able to accomplish that goal, especially while you're working full-time as a minister of the gospel. And so I am very honored and proud to stand on the stage with others when they serve up here as well. But Tyler has crossed that threshold. Uh, it's been a dream of not only him, but of his family for this would happen. Uh, and he's worked very hard to make that happen while maintaining the ministry here. And so I just want you to be praying for him and for his heart not being able to go this weekend. But just to let you know that that three to four years, sometimes for folks, five, seven-year project he did in two and a half years, and he did so with flying colors in his grades. As those who have gone before can tell you, it is not easy to do so, and so uh, keep praying for him. Let me pray over him now, and we'll entertain, uh, he won't entertain us, we'll entertain him <laughs> bringing the word of God as he speaks that over us. So let me pray for him. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the staff that we have. Lord, they are all blessings to us. And today you've given us an honor of being with another one of our staff who have accomplished a great milestone in their lives. Lord, what a blessing it is to know that that's done. What a blessing it is, though, to have this staff, including Tyler, to be a part of leading our faith family to become more like Jesus. I pray you bless him with the word today, that you would speak through him, Lord, that you would quiet his mouth anytime he utters a, begins to utter a word that would not be from your word and not from you as your spirit leads him, and that he would also, Lord, 
be preaching to the audience of one, to you. But he would just invite us along as we converse over the scriptures. Lord, I pray you bless his family, for we know that as all of us who serve you, whether we're in vocational ministry or not, as we serve, we know the enemy will come at us. So, Lord, protect his family. I pray that you would use him and his family in mighty ways, but protect them. And, Lord, just we are excited to see what you will do through them. So thank you for giving us a brother like Tyler to walk with us and to lead us and to preach the word this morning. And I just thank you for personally for bringing him here years before even my arrival, that we would be able to serve together with the staff in order to see this faith family take the light of the gospel into the darkness. Lord, I ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas, and thank you, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to be coming out of this morning. I think the person most excited about this degree being done is my wife, as I will be able to go to bed at the same time as her for the first time in two and a half years. And so, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Y'all, in the season of uh, parenting a toddler, my son will be two years old next week. Two years old. It's crazy to think. I'm kind of mind-blowing, honestly, that I am old enough to have a two-year-old and that my son is two. I was on Facebook earlier looking at Facebook memories and speaking of graduations. like It was this day, two, two years ago, that my wife walked across the stage nine months pregnant at Jacksonville State University and was having contractions, and we thought she was about to have a baby on the, on the, on the football field. Not even kidding. Um, I told her, I said, hey, there's an empty gate over there. The, the gate's wide open over there. Just keep walking. Grab that degree, and you just keep walking, babe. I'll pick you up, all right? And so uh, Brooks came five days later. I'm not even kidding. Um, it was crazy. Um, but now two years later, I have a little rambunctious little fireball of a toddler. And he gets into everything. And I mean everything. Like, I mean, there's not one thing that he doesn't get his hands into. And those of you who, like, have, like, a really, like, strong-willed, like, stubborn child, like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, some, like, some of y'all's kids, like, I know that they probably just sit there and, like, listen to, no, not Brooks, all right? <laughs> like, typical preacher's kid. I love the kid, all right? He's going to listen to this sermon one day and be like, Dad, you told me you would never use me as an illustration, but I got to on this one. Sorry, son. But he has this little Christmas tree that he goes and pushes the button and it plays Christmas music, and he dances, all right? And he, he runs up to me and Ryan, and he wants us to pick him up, and he wants us to, like, spin around with him, and he dances, and he screams everybody's name, and, like, we have, like, a little dance party in the living room. And I hear that playing the other day, but I, I don't hear him dancing. I hear him running through the house, and he's yelling the words, Baby! Baby! And I'm going, what does he have? And so I, I look. And in his hands, he is holding my wife's white marble nativity scene, baby Jesus. And so I immediately look at Jesus. I, look at, I don't look at Jesus. I look at Brooks. I looked at Jesus first. Then I looked at Brooks. He said, Brooks, put down baby Jesus. And so I'm trying to get baby Jesus away from me. And it's always baby Jesus. He never grabs Joseph, Mary. We don't have wise men in our nativity scene because they weren't there yet, all right? Let's be biblical here. But I grab baby Jesus from Brooks, and I say, put down baby Jesus. Don't touch baby Jesus. Bam, put baby Jesus back in between his mom and dad. How many times in the Christmas season do we just say, put down baby Jesus? So focused on baby Jesus. And now we as evangelical 
Christians here at 12th Street, we say Jesus is, the, Jesus is the reason for the season. We can echo that, all right? We can share the little memes that come up on the internet. We can do those things. But brothers and sisters, how many times do we forget about the purpose of the Christmas season of what Jesus came to accomplish? If we're not careful, we will end up like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights. Praying to six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that baby grew up. That baby grew up. And last week, as we talked about the incarnation and Jesus condescending, taking on flesh to be with us, to be God with us, Emmanuel, today we're going to be talking about Jesus, our obedience. We're going to focus in on the life that Jesus lived. Because that baby went on to live the life you couldn't and die the death you deserve. The manger does not matter if the cross never happened. If the cross never happened, Jesus is no different than anyone in this room right now. Brothers and sisters, the manger does not carry any weight without the weight of the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, the manger is not important without the life that Jesus came to live on your behalf. It does not matter. And as we look at this empty manger, I'm so thankful we don't have like a really creepy baby doll laying in it right now, to be honest with you. Let us be reminded of the empty tomb. Let us be reminded of what Jesus accomplished on your behalf, on my behalf, on all of our behalf corporately. Because what He has done for us, He is our obedience. He is our obedience. He is the one who is obedient when we cannot be. He is the one who is the ultimate life lived on our behalf. Romans 5, starting in verse 12, is where we're going to be beginning at this morning. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was counted, sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more so will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So the law came to end to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that is, sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are so unworthy of what you have accomplished on our behalf. 
God, we are so unworthy of the free gift of grace that has came through Christ Jesus. And I pray that as we look to you, our obedience, even to be the perfect obedience on the cross, that God, that we will strive, that we will fight, that we will follow you first and foremost. Not follow our own hearts, not try to work our way into heaven, but God, that we will realize the work has already been done. It is finished. Father, speak through me this morning and through your word that we may be edified, that we may just be rebuked for sin in our lives, and that God, most of all, that we will look more like Jesus when we walk out of this room because we sat under his word. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to point out this morning is that your disobedience is your death. Your disobedience is your death. I, I like to ask a question sometimes just to make people squirm because that's what I like to do. I like to put people in awkward situations. Um, how do you view yourself? I, seriously, ask somebody that question and sometimes what you'll notice is that you find people like me who like to oversell themselves. Hi, I'm guilty of that. And then you'll also find people who like to undersell themselves. But ultimately when you say how do you view yourself especially with someone who you've met for the first time or who you've only talked to a couple of times, what you notice is no one is very honest about who we really are. Am I right? Like if I was to say, hey, Thomas, I'm going to play your, like, sin, your sin reel, like if I somehow got access to like, all of Thomas's sins in his life and show them on the screen, Thomas would probably like, shave his beard, move to Mexico, change his name. All right, And I would do the same thing, and let's be honest, you would do the same thing. Because in all reality, we are ashamed of who we really are. And so what we do, though, is we cover that up, we try to mask it, we try to say, like, you know, I'm good, like, I, I have the good Christian thing, like, I share Bible verses on Facebook, I follow all the Christians' page, you know, I voted for the right person, all these things. We try to make it and cover up all these things and justify ourselves but can we just be honest really quick? Go ahead and put us all on a level playing field this morning. We are a very messed up, broken people outside of Christ in this room. I mean, am I right? We are all a very broken people. You are a sinner. Now, I'm not telling you that to condemn you this morning. I'm telling you that because that is who we are outside of Jesus. And if you were outside of Christ this morning, you are still a sinner. And now, if you are inside of Christ this morning, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. Christ does not look down upon you and say, oh man, what a filthy sinner. No, he looks down and says, what a beloved child. But we are sinners outside of Christ. Paul here in this passage argues for a universal sinfulness. That sin has infected through the entire world through one man, Adam. And it says death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. One of my dogs, one of my dead old guys, all right, he says this, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. If you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch. Because that is all you contribute to your salvation. You can come to Jesus with your perfect Sunday school attendance. You can come to Jesus with your Bible reading plan completed. You can come to Jesus and do all the right Christian things and buy people's gifts at Christmas. But if you don't have Jesus, you are bringing him nothing more than righteous, sinful acts. You are a sinner outside of Jesus. Now, if you don't believe me, if you're saying they're saying, Tyler, come on, man. Let's listen to what Paul has to say about us. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? 
No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And as I'm looking around, there's no asterisk with like anybody's name in here. No one understand. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Merry Christmas. You're not good. I am not good. I know my heart. I am not a good person. Outside of Jesus, I am not a good person. The Bible is very clear about who we are. And it is very clear that what the world has to say about us is so false. But the thing is, we're so tempted to believe it. We're so tempted to believe that we are this like morally upright people and that we are good in and of ourselves. Or even the more dangerous one, in my opinion, we're tempted to believe that we are a morally neutral people when we are born. That we get to choose and like forge our own path. The Bible tells us in Psalm 51, For we were conceived in iniquity. For I was conceived in iniquity is what, Paul, was what David writes. We were born sinners. We are spiritually dead when we were born. And we have earned death. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. You earned it. That's what wages are. You earned it. Now, this is what we tend to do, though, all right? Because, once again, we're just like Adam. We like to blame other people. What did Adam do? It was this woman you gave me, right? So what we do is we're like, man, this world would be better off if Adam wouldn't have sinned, if Adam would have taken better care of his wife, or my favorite one, if Eve wouldn't have ate that fruit. What Paul is saying right here is that while in Adam we sinned, in Adam, we sin. This is what a doctrine is called federal headship, that Adam is our representative before this doctrine, and that we are sinners in Adam. And if you think about it, he was the first human. We were all in Adam DNA anyways. Does that make sense? We're all represented there. And so Adam, on our behalf, sinned. But here's the truth. If we were to like somehow access the DeLorean and go back to the beginning of time, you would do the same exact thing. You would do exactly what Adam did. You would do exactly what Eve did 100 out of 100 times. You'd have the perfect batting average. In Adam, all have sinned because we are in Adam at the time of his sin. He is our representative, the one who failed God, bringing death on all humanity. But here's the truth. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is who we are. It is our nature. It's ingrained inside of you. It is, we are a broken, depraved people. You've earned death. Now, you may be sitting there going, there's a verse right here in verse, 14, in verse 13. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, talking about the law of Moses, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Some people like to take this passage and go, well, that means that those who aren't aware of the law of Moses, they're not sinning. And they argue for this kind of like really false doctrine, universalism, that Jesus can save people outside of himself because they're not aware of the law. But here's the thing. Even people outside of the law of Moses are still being punished for their sin because everyone dies. Even those who are not aware, they all die. 
So is sin punishable there? Yes, because we all die. That's the judgment of sin. But the law, the law of Moses, those of us who are aware of the Ten Commandments, those of us who are aware of what God's standard is, it makes our sin even more evident, right? It makes our sin even more evident. Maybe you'll understand it better if I put it like this. Once again, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're all, by nature, a disobedient people, right? All right. Our disobedience leads to death. You may be shocked. I'm a pretty disobedient person by nature. Okay? I don't like to follow rules. Now, I'm married the rule follower of rule followers. Praise God. Okay? Praise God. But I am a rule breaker by nature. Okay? That's just who I am. I'm sorry. God has really worked on me. Now, when I was the cool 20-year-old student pastor at First Baptist Church Vitala, I was in Panama City Beach on a mission trip. And we were skateboarding down the strip. And I'll never forget, I can close my eyes and literally see the moon like over the water. Okay, like, and I was like, man, I want to picture this, but I was on the strip. I couldn't get a good angle and all this stuff. Well, we come up on this sand dune. And I'm sitting there going, man, guys, what if we could get like a really good picture if we climb up on this sand dune. And there's this huge sign that says, don't go on the dune. Okay, now, Landon, I'm going to tell him that I mentioned him today in my sermon. Landon, who is my rule follower in the group, goes, but Tyler. There's a sign that says, don't go on the dunes. And I say, but is there anybody around to tell me not to go on the dunes? And so guess what I did? I took five guys, excluding Landon, who stayed at the bottom, onto the dune, and I took a picture of the moon over the water. Now, there was rope around this dune, all right? Like, there was clearly blocked off. I wasn't supposed to go. But the sign made it more evident that I really was not supposed to go. Somebody could come up and go, hey, Tyler, get off the dune. If there was no sign, i go, well, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't know there, there wasn't a rule. But the sign made it more evident. That's what God's law does for us in the sin in our lives. It makes it more evident that we are not meeting God's standard, that we are a fallen and broken people. If I were to put the Ten Commandments up here, you would probably get a zero out of ten. And that's not a good grade. And that's not a 10-point test. That's a life test. You failed. Here is the beauty of this, though. Is that even though the law reveals how broken and depraved we are, it reveals how glorious of a Savior we have. So even in the midst that our disobedience leads to death, that your disobedience is your death, Jesus' life is your righteousness. Not your life, Jesus' life is your righteousness. Romans 5, 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Paul right here is comparing Adam to Jesus. And in verse 14, he literally is looking, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Adam was nothing more than a mere shadow of the substance who was Christ. He was just a type of the one to come. And so if this free gift is not let the trespass, it says, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned throughout one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. This is a question I want to ask yourself. How does God accept you? How does God accept you? Does he accept you because of what you've done, because of what you do? Or does he accept you because of who he is and what Jesus did and what Jesus accomplished on your behalf? Now, most of us in this room would probably say the second one. And amen. But does your heart, does your actions reflect that? Are you trying to mask all of your your unrighteousness with these righteous deeds? If so, you're not reflecting that. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' life is our righteousness. Paul argues that here. He's the one who covered us in his blood. His death is the one that satisfied us. His righteousness is imputed upon us and we don't deserve it. But instead, we still try to cover up our sinfulness on our own. When I was in fourth grade, I did something really stupid, okay? I was 10 years old. I'll never forget it. I changed a grade. Okay? My dad picked me up from, from school, and we went to his work over on Locust Street, and I had a really bad conduct grade. Okay? Are y'all shocked, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I had a really bad conduct grade. Um, my teacher told my, my third grade teacher told my mom that she hated getting on to me because like, she would move me to the corner of the room, and I would talk to somebody who was in the corner. And then she moved me to the hallway, so then I talked to people in the hallway. So then she moved me beside her, but then she had to move me because I was getting on her nerves because I was talking so much. Like, I was not like a really bad kid. I just couldn't shut up. Does that make sense? I mean, I just love to talk. And so I came in, and like my wife, who's an elementary school teacher, she's going to be like, just like, Tyler, I can't believe this. But I think I had like a 78 in conduct, which is like the easiest grade, right? Like a 78. And all I had to do was just shut my mouth and I had a 78. Like, it's ridiculous. But anyway, I was like, I was sitting there and I was talking to my dad, and I had to get him to sign this paper. I saw Whiteout on his desk. I was like, oh man, I got a genius plan. I got access to the copier here. And so I changed that 70, like 78 to like a 90. Okay, and I went and made a copy of it, and then I threw away the original, went and gave it to him to sign. And I like slid it to him. I was like, here you go, Dad, can you sign this for me? Some kind of contract negotiation. And he looks at me, and he looks at it, and he looks up, and he goes, son, I'm about to sign this, but like, just know, I'll know if you've changed your grade. Yes, sir. And I just sat there and stared at him. It was like battle of the poker faces. I'm like, I'm not betraying this. And so he signs the paper and just hands it back to me. That one sentence was like he planted like a ticking time bomb in my brain. I walked off thinking I got away with it. Ten minutes later, I'm sitting there going, how am I going to confess this to him? I've lied. And so I go back to him and I tell him, he goes, yeah, I know. That's not your teacher's handwriting. You try to cover it up, but that, that's not your teacher's handwriting. That is your handwriting. So not only are you in trouble for, lying, or for changing your grade, you're in trouble for lying to me, son. How many times do we do that to the Father? We try to go to Him and we literally lay out what we've done and we say, this is how good I've done, Father. This is all the good things I've done. This is all the goodness I've done. This is all the things I've done. And in all reality, we are doing nothing more but trying to justify ourselves to cover our sins. And it doesn't cover anything. 
Before the Father, we are still standing naked and ashamed when we try to justify ourselves. But, 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 Jesus is the one who came to change it for us. Not on anything we've done, not on anything that you've done or I've done, but because of what he has done and because of who he is. The free gift is not like the trespass. This entire passage is contrasting Adam to Jesus because we need to realize Jesus is the true and better Adam. He's the better representative for what humanity is supposed to look like. And not only is it symbolic, it's in all general. Adam compared to Jesus is a grasshopper compared to the infinite glory of God. We are not worthy of this, but even so, Adam brought the decaying power of sin, but Jesus brought the restoring power of justification. He justified us on his behalf. He made us right on his behalf. But the wages, for the wages of sin is death, Paul writes in Romans 6.23, he finishes it with, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. It's what he has given us. It is what he has done for you because he has lived the perfect life. My illustration earlier about my conduct grade, even if I would have made a 100 in conduct, it would still be below the standard. Now, some of you can relate to me. Like, y'all can relate to me. You can, like, used to, like, man, Tyler, like, I did not have a good conduct grade. Some of you can go back to third grade and tell you about the one time that you got in trouble, and that's it. Like, that was the only time you've ever gotten in trouble your entire life. The truth of the matter is, though, is that both of us are in so much need of Jesus' grace. To the rule breaker and to the rule follower in this room, stop striving and trying to cover up your sin because Jesus has already covered it with his blood. No mere little act of obedience that you can do on your own can cover your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can perfectly cover your sin. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 11-13. through 13. I love this. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, I love this right here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Man, what a hopeful Bible verse for a bunch of faithless people. What a hopeful Bible verse for the perfectionists in this room. What a hopeful Bible verse for the one who isn't a perfectionist like myself. Because all of us, even though we may not break the rules or try to follow every rule possible, all of it reveals our brokenness. And all of it reveals how short we fall of the glory of God. And all of it reminds us that even when we are faithless, He is faithful. Amen and amen. Praise Jesus that he is faithful for us. He is righteous enough for every one of us in this room. He is righteous enough for the many sinners who are made righteous by his actions. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is your righteousness. Now, lastly, when we are in Adam, sin and death reign supreme. But when we realize we are in Christ, love and grace abound in that. So your disobedience is your death. Jesus' life is is your righteousness. But ultimately what we see in this passage is Jesus' obedience 
is your life. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Disobedience to obedience. Jesus is your obedience. You can't be perfectly obedient. You just simply can't, and I'm sorry. Welcome to a broken world. But ultimately what we need to realize is in this passage, Paul mentions death six separate times. Why? Because death is humanity's great enemy. One out of one people die. Crazy stat. And especially in a world where 3,000 Americans are dying daily from a virus, death is very evident to us. It is a grim reality we all face. But where Adam's disobedience brought death in the world, throughout the world, into you personally. Jesus' obedience brought us life and life abundantly and eternally. He writes in verse 20, Now the law came in to increase. I mentioned earlier how the law reveals the sin. Came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I love how Paul, the word grace abounded literally means super grace. This super grace overcomes sin. And while we break all the rules, while we don't uphold God's righteous standard, while we fall short, while we do these things, Jesus' super grace abounds all the more. It covers it all. Even when we break the law. Martin Luther writes about the law in his Galatians commentary. I love this. The law is a mirror to show a person what he is truly like. A sinner who is guilty of death and worthy of everlasting punishment. What is this bruising and beating by the hand of the law to accomplish? This, that we may find his way to the grace. The law is an usher to lead the way to grace. God is the God of the humble, the miserable, and the afflicted. And that's all of us this morning. When the law drives you to the point of despair, let it drive you a little farther. Let it drive you straight into the arms of Jesus who says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When the fact that you can't have it all together and that you can't obey on your own drives you to despair, let it drive you even deeper into the arms of Jesus who was obedient on your behalf. That is Christmas this morning. That is the purpose of the manger. Because in our disobedience, since we can't fulfill the commandments, since we can't fulfill the law, Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. And that should push us to worship. Why? Because He is our obedience. He is the one who perfectly followed on our behalf. He is the one who strived and fought and went through this earth fully man, fully God, perfectly obeying the Father's will. In our disobedience, we grasp for equality of God. We try to say that we are just like Adam and Eve. We believe the ancient lie of the enemy that we can be like God. But listen to what Jesus does. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality of God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, this verse right here, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He was perfectly obedient even to the cross. C.S. Lewis, in his great, just wonderful novel series, Chronicles of Narnia, captured this in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've read this, if you haven't, what are you doing with your life? Go read it. When Aslan the lion dies and comes back, spoiler alert, okay, Aslan's like Jesus, the great lion says to Lucy and Susan after returning to life, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. When Jesus was killed on your behalf and he lived the life that you could not, and he resurrected from the dead, death started working backwards for us as believers. Because every breath we breathe, we are inching closer to our death. But in all reality, we're just inching closer to a new, to a new life, a life eternal. Death is working backwards because of Jesus' perfect obedience. He has overcame death in the grave with his perfect obedience. Now you may be sitting there saying, okay, Tyler, so what? Like, I get it. Jesus died, he's our obedience. What's this got to do with Advent? What's this got to do with the Christmas season? I want, you, I want to ask you this question. Do you really believe God accepts you because of what you do or because of what Christ did? Once again, I think all of us who are believers in this room would say, yes, Jesus accepts me because of what he did. But does your heart reflect that? And if your heart doesn't, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you rest in Christ's work and let it transform how you obey God? Will you focus on the sinless life of Jesus? Will you see him obeying in your place? Let that encourage you as you strive and walk in holiness and as you follow him in his perfect obedience. You see, brothers and sisters, we can't be like God, but in Christ we can be like him. When we follow Jesus, we can be like him through the work of the Spirit. Brother and sister, if you are outside of Christ this morning, if you are inside of Christ this morning, recognize your ruin. Recognize your brokenness. All of your existence is colored by sin. There is no human remedy from Adam. There is no human remedy found in you. You are a sinful person. But ultimately, recognize the magnitude of your rescue that is in Jesus Christ. Recognize the greatness of His work. Recognize the beauty of the cross. Recognize His blood shed on your behalf. Recognize the matchless work of Jesus that was accomplished for His brothers and sisters, for the Father's children. Recognize it and worship for it. Jesus is the true and better Adam. He is the one who is perfectly obedient. He is the representative you need. He is your obedience. He is the answer you've been looking for. He is your Savior. And in His perfect obedience, His blood on the cross covered not just Adam's transgression, not just His, it covered the entire worlds. It covered all the world's sin. It covered us. But it covered especially those who believe. Especially his children. It covers all of his people's brokenness and treachery. So, brothers and sisters, turn your sin over to Jesus. Come rest in him. Brothers and sisters, turn your trying for obedience over to Jesus. Find rest in him. Repent from your sin. Turn to him. And he 
will give you rest. Come behold the wondrous mystery of Jesus in your place. Will you pray with me? Father, you are so good to us. And God, as I think about Jesus in my place, as I think about Jesus on our behalf, God, I am overwhelmed by your goodness. I am overwhelmed by what the blood of Jesus means for us. Father God, I pray that what we will see this Christmas season is that we will not just leave baby Jesus in the manger. That we'll realize that baby grew up and accomplished what we can never do on our own. Father, as we behold this wondrous mystery of Jesus' obedience in our place, He is our justification. He's the one who's made us right. And Father, I pray that we will continue on in that. We will not do anything in our own power. We will do everything in His power because He is the one who made us right. Father, for the sinner in this room who is outside of Christ, I pray they will run to You right now. What better time than right now to say, Jesus, You have done everything I couldn't. I need you more than ever. And to the Christian in this room, Father, help us to reveal where we have fallen short and help us to reveal where we need to trust more and know your obedience. And I pray us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.